0: You just heard is Dog of War by the Hell Yeah Babies, which means I'm Nick Bond. I'm David Gibb. And this is how wrestling explains another exciting, some would say essential episode today, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Essential Can you dig that sucker? Sorry, again, very excited. We're doing another Booker T episode.
1: Alright, well now I feel like I fully appreciate how insulting that is, and now I do want to fight you. So so hot start to this one,
0: Nick uh yeah so we uh like i said uh, we said last episode uh we're splitting it up between his wcw stuff which we talked about uh in the booker tau booker t explains wcw and in this one we're gonna just go more general wrestling but we wanted to start with his transition from ww wcw to wwe which uh so my initial impression of it was shrug emoji, but like looking back, it wasn't terrible. It's just not nearly as good as it should have been, and not just how I wished it could be. But we start off by watching the Rock Booker T match uh, for at SummerSlam for the WCW Championship, and it's a really good match, and he can clearly work the. WWE main event style. The fact that they didn't really have him do that is probably the most frustrating part about that match. Otherwise it's a really good one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed this match. I think that like by the standards of the rock, this is an excellent match that I would put up there in like the top tier with matches that he had with, with Steve Austin or Mick Foley or the, the famous match with Hogan. I think that this is not just an essential Booker match, but an essential rock match and maybe an essential SummerSlam match. Like you said, I think this is just like a great example of the wwe main event style i mean you know there's a lot of misdirection involving shane mcmahon and and wcw people there's a you know a whole finisher exchange party kind of thing like it's very wwe main event but it it really is just like one of the perfect examples of that style of main event that i've ever seen
0: yeah because booger t can work he's both entertaining and athletic so that's why he worked in both the wcw and the wwe style because it, at its best, the WCW style is a a like palpably more athletic version of whatever you want to call wrestling sports entertainment. What uh, catches catch it's catch it's much closer to an actual realistic, like a, a realistic fact simile of a fight than sports entertainment quote unquote is, and he can go slide between the two he can do spectacular athletic things and then turn around and like do a really good job on the cell of the rock bottom or the people's elbow or one of rock's punches he's he's so good at sliding between the two worlds it's like i said it's very frustrating to think that they didn't really do anything after this match because this match is awesome booker looks so fucking good like this match should have made a billion like this feud should have made a billion dollars
1: Yeah, you know, it really struck me as I was watching this match that, like, anytime they're brawling on the outside or anytime they're, like, working in holds one way or the other, it's like, you can really see in this match that, like, I don't know that, like, Booker is better at that part of wrestling than Rock. Like, it's really, there's one part where he just has Rock in, like, a bow and arrow where he's, like, sitting on his butt and he's, like, pulling his arms back, kind of like John Cena used to do or whatever, but, like, even that just like the way Booker is twerking it around and like the the faces that he's making like he in this match shows you a lot like he shows you not just that he's a good capable main event wrestler but that he's fully on Rock's level and there's certain parts
0: of wrestling that he's
1: better at than Rock frankly
0: yeah there's one part in the match it's very silly it's a rest hold but he goes to put Rock in like a chin lock And actually pulls his arm out and like cinches it in and leans back. And you're like, yes, just he's so good at the little shit. And you see it on this really big stage. WWE is shot much more cinematically than WCW. WCW is still crash TV, basically, in terms of like where they have the camera station. This is a show that is much better produced quite frankly and that really comes that's what makes booker really come across we talked about how he doesn't really have that many great feuds in wcw and in wwe he has some great feuds but would he would have been so spectacular on a Shawn michaels level to have grown up in wwe if he would have been booked like Shawn michaels he's he's such a great presence for the wwe he just looks great on camera and all of the stuff he does looks really realistic and high impact it this is like an absolute perfect showcase for booker uh it really sucks that the ending ended the way it did where where he is just Completely bamboozled by a rock bottom, like, doesn't see it coming after he does the spin a rooney. There's a lot to this match that I would change, but at the same time, it's totally great the way it is if they had done something with it. But the fact that this is like the last match for them in terms of it being a mean of him being like a mean of meaningful part of that era's main event is super disappointing but also like if that had not happened he had moved to the main event this match is like a really great you can do better next time match
1: yeah definitely agreed i I do think it's the natalia finish the like the person who's to this point proven to be totally competent if not the superior grappler suddenly losing focus in a way that person never would only to lose and that's always really frustrating but i agree this is something that like he could have shrugged off, and it's like it's more important that he got to The Rock so quickly and had a really great competitive hot match if there had been the follow-up.
0: Other than the fact that he's from WCW, there is no reason for him not to have been on The Rock, Austin, Triple H, Kurt Angle level. He's just as good as any of those guys. This match is pretty definitive proof to me. We'll also get into the Triple H match at WrestleMania 19 in a little bit, but this is really... This should have been a signature match for The Rock, and not just like we said, like an essential one if you want to understand what makes them both great, but there's so much potential in this match. There's so much money in this match because he's such a good avatar for WCW, and you see a lot of it, like I said, because he wrestles a much more realistic, a much more physical style than The Rock, but he can also keep up with Rock's athleticism, and that's hugely important because most guys can't keep up with the rock athletically so it ends up making the rock look like a superhero and not in a good way in a a way that can become very tiresome like the rock is a super face on par with like hulk hogan and this is kind of the one of the starts of it but i think booker t actually worked with that because he could keep up with the rock yeah
1: and he keeps up with him in terms of big dealness too like i mean as much as this isn't a big turning point in wrestling history they really present it like it is and like during the entrances they're showing you know both the locker rooms with all you know all the wrestlers are watching and that you know they're they're kind of broken off into factions with former you know uh, wcw and ecw guys watching in one room and wwe you know uh, loyalists watching in another room and stuff like they do make this feel like a big main event and like Booker is worthy of it like he's not the mid Carter punching up and getting his one month in the main event like he fully feels right there with Rock in a way that maybe I had forgotten even though I was watching it
0: yeah I think that's really you go back and you're like wow he, he played at this level without even blinking he was just it, there is an ease with which he moves about the ring that uh, reminds me kind of like Brock Lesnar against the rock where they're able to, since they're able to keep up with them, phys- him physically and they understand the psychology pretty well. It makes the rock actually wrestle a match and not just do rock punches followed by rock sharpshooter followed by rock spinebuster followed by rock, at uh, people's elbow, followed by the rock bottom, like it or reverse that depending on who he's facing. But there's a real actual progression to the match, and it's just not the five moves of doom, which a lot of wrestlers have had five moves of doom, Bret Hart, most notably. But Bret Hart also put moves in between those moves. And like the rock is forced to buy Booker T to up his game and wrestle an actual wrestling match that tells a story in the WWE way, but is a competitive contest in the WCWA.
1: Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think that's a great encapsulation of what that match is and what makes it so special.
0: Uh, less special, but I think it's still a big deal, is his involvement in the four-person tournament at Vengeance 2001. Uh, he famously it's fucks with Austin <laughs> during this and costs Austin a chance at the Undisputed title, which eventually goes to... Chris Jericho so it's like he's put on a level with Austin and The Rock which is good right and then there's Chris Jericho which is um,
1: it's a pretty good i guess in like an underdog that triple h can later beat sort of way
0: yeah yeah it's really great for his future prospects that he's put on the level of the guy who wasn't able to reach the big time until he put on short shorts like the, the i love chris jericho and i think he's an important person in the history of wrestling but at this point to be kind of sunk down to Chris Jericho's level, even though they made him the first undisputed champion. That was almost like a rib on Chris Jericho, it felt like. like and Booker T gets a feud with Austin out of this, but it's not the feud. He, sh- he should have been such a bigger part of their plans going forward and always felt like with Booker T, the goal was to make him pay for having been in WCW by having him be beat up or worked over or doesn't get put over necessarily though. It's sometimes not their fault by the big guys in WWF like, Oh, well this is what you get for coming in here and being good enough to have to be featured, but not good enough to, build a time machine, go back in time and tie in with the WWE in the late nineties.
1: Yeah. You know, the territory system used to prevent uh, people from being able to treat wrestlers that way. Like that was kind of part of the glory of it. Right. It's like, well, if you guys are going to be jerks to me, I'm going to go work somewhere else where they appreciate who I am. When you've just closed down the last bit of competition, uh, you, you, you have an environment where both management and the grandfathered talent are, are, in a position where they could choose to be real dicks to uh, people if they wanted. And and I, I think we see a little bit of that maybe in the non-progression of Booker's career and push.
0: He doesn't get the worst treatment. He didn't get like a Lance storm treatment, but he it's because that's only because his talent is so undeniable. You can't not have Booker T on your show. If he's available to be on your show, he's, one of the best performers in the world at this thing that you're supposed to be the number one company in the world at. So it would be dumb not to have him. But it seems like they went through a purposeful... It doesn't seem like... They went through a purposeful devaluing of him to establish that WWE was the dominant brand. Like, you hear shit with the... During the commentary of the Booker T uh, rock match, you basically hear Jr. and at the time when you're listening to it, if you're a fan in early two, in 2001, you're like, yeah, fuck these guys. And then you listen now, and you're like, Paul Heyman's right about most of this shit. Like, like yeah, he's a dick, and nobody likes Paul Heyman, but he's not wrong, and Jr. is so understandably I guess patriotic about WWE that it kind of you can see where that he's really he may feel that way too but he's clearly uh, parroting the company line on that like fuck WCW they tried to put us out of business we put them out of business and they're lucky to have us here fuck them and it's like That vibe kind of works in the time, but it did not age well at all.
1: Yeah, I think it's before they lock up. JR says a line about um, how, you know, well, what does Booker's title really mean anyway? Like, it's immediate. And you're just like, oh, oh, like I said, even though the match is presented as such a big deal and and Booker and Rock carry it off, I think there is some, I don't want to say undermining because it's certainly not on the level of like, you know, the Buff Bagwell versus Booker thing that, that, that happened. Uh, like, it's not on the level of that. But you can definitely tell that, you know, not the whole team is rooting for some of this stuff to succeed. And, like, say what you will about the faults of the Attitude Era, but, like, what made the Attitude Era work was everybody was in the same boat, rowing the same direction. And you can feel that when you watch the television. And I think when you watch this match, as great as it was, maybe greater than the matches that you saw in the Attitude Era or the Nitro Era on WCW, in spite of all that, maybe not everybody was rowing in the same direction as vigorously at this moment.
0: Booker T was going to be better served in WCW than he was in WWE. And if they're not, this isn't like Chris Jericho where the second he could, he jumped ship. Understandably so. I'm not calling Chris Jericho like a turncoat or anything like that, but Booker T seemed like a, God, I hate to use him. Like Derek Jeter, I guess, where you're like, I don't like him, but I respect the way he plays the game. Does that make sense? Like... It feels as though they should have at least had respect for the fact that he stuck with them, the his, their opponents, I understand, but stuck with their opponents the entire time, didn't j- ship when it was convenient for him, and is clearly such a transcendent talent that he's all he's going to do is help out your team. Like I understand wanting somebody to pay their dues, I guess, but this is a guy that was a lifer with WCW and was not... Would have never come to WWE. I guess that might be it, but it just, it feels really dumb to me that he was treated that way. And he wasn't the only person, a lot of people from WCW, but Booker makes the least amount of sense to me in terms of treating somebody like that.
1: No, I mean, you have him, you have the title, you made sure you got the title on him at the last Nitro, and then, I mean, I I love JR, he's my favorite, but, like, his narrative is all about how Booker is, like, a usurper, a pretender who stands for nothing, how he's big-headed, like, as if The Rock isn't big-headed, you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy, and, and as you say, I think Heyman does check it, but it's kind of funny, because, like, it's within the context of Heyman being the heal but like you said earlier i think hayman is a little too right much in the same way that we've talked about jesse being a little too right where it's just like yeah like why did you have to frame
0: things this way and it's because vince mcmahon wants everybody to understand that he won and fuck these people and he won and he's literally going to have one of the people he destroyed although i guess he didn't destroy paul hayman in the way he ended up destroying wcw but a, a person he usurped uh, is going to be the person who's trying to make the argument for while everyone else is against him. It's almost like him playing out a fantasy with Paul Heyman, though I think Paul Heyman superseded that and did such a great job of articulating the point of the other side that it allowed you, if you wanted to, and I think a lot of people did want to root against The Rock, against W WWE. He does kind of, and Booker T, too, and guys like Booker T, really could have established a separate identity for at least a faction within WWE, but they just didn't want to do it. They wanted to use like the NWO as a way to make money, despite the fact that it had stopped making money 10 10- not 10 years ago, like four years earlier. The Alliance angles was pretty failure all the way around, but I think the person they failed most and this is something we talked about at the end of last episode was Booker T. He is, to me, the most talented, the, the worst balance of talented and fully utilized in the history of wrestling.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree with you. And when you say they did want to use the NWO, it's like, well, who were the NWO? They were Vince guys anyway, right? And they made them even more Vince guys by like putting Shawn Michaels in there and stuff. It was like, even the WCW stuff that Vince wanted was the WCW stuff that was really Vince stuff to begin with. You know, the guy just like, he, he's, uh, who is it, uh, not Narcissus, or is it who fell in love with his, yeah, Narcissus, right, fell in love with his own reflection in the lake and stuff. Like, I, I think there's some of that at play here with, with Vince.
0: And I think a lot of what happens as a result of what we've just been talking about is this lost generation of, and this is something we've touched on before, they were really afraid to develop guys, because the Attitude Era had changed the understanding of scale so much that they will, if we have to build new stars, it's clearly going to cut into our bottom line this way, and our ratings this way and this way. I think one thing that's been a constant problem
1: for the WWF since like 89, like since the wheels kind of start to come off the Hulkamania formula, maybe 90. I think that they've never really calibrated properly the roster in terms of like depth versus breadth and they've never done a great job stratifying it where certain people are like really, really meaningful and really, really important, but also not eating up a lot of time. Like in the early raw era, I think Brett is a great example of that. Like you don't see too, too much of Brett. But like he's the champion and they talk about Brett and Brett's really relevant and stuff like that's one time I actually think they were doing a good job with this, but I think that there's always been this, this number one like distrust of centralizing too much power in one person but at the same time an equal amount of fear that if you don't centralize time if you share it evenly then like nobody will get over enough and i think that that's something that mcmahon run wwe has kind of always been been grappling with even like down to today like i would tell you that like this WrestleMania, some of the problems of the card are a result of a miscalibration between depth and breadth and how you use TV
0: time. They don't feel confident in their ability to get from point A to point B on a story. They go point A, point 1A, where like Becky is out of the title match because she did, she pissed off Vince McMahon and then she has to get in the title match. She has a match with, and it becomes this convoluted thing where you could have just had okay, Becky and, and down the road constantly. Sorry, yeah, continue. No, and that's that's part of the problem. And that's basically what I'm saying is the WWE has become afraid to put any. Like you said, they're afraid to centralize unless it's a guy like John Cena who's the ultimate company man. They have two shows now, and you can't be. You cannot put guys on both shows. You can't do it. You will hurt them very, but they will get injured. That's just, you can't, your human body, the human body can't do that shit. So they're afraid to put all of their eggs in one basket for good logistical reasons. And also they're afraid that once they become stars, they'll just leave. Like that's one of their big fears with someone like Rhonda, which is why Charlotte's in the match. Charlotte cannot take the pin. And, feud with Becky later on and it's the reversed way that's why it got so convoluted and I'm fine Charlotte being in the match and fine her winning the Smackdown championship I wish they would have done more with Asuka that's a whole different bag of worms or a can of worms or there's a lot of worms may all make me very angry but I think that They have finally started to feel comfortable at least tagging certain divisions as time filler, and I think that's the way to do it going forward, because I understand there's a bunch of fears, guys getting hurt and stuff like that. But without some sort of competition to force you to get behind people, you can just keep the train moving by pushing it farther down the tracks or kicking the can farther down the tracks because people don't really have another option.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, it's that, it's that problem of uh, having to rely entirely on internal motivation. Like internal motivation is great. And the most successful people are intrinsically internally motivated But like once those people are already successful, it usually takes outside pressure to start pushing them to the next tier, the next level. You know what I mean?
0: And the problem with WWE at this point, at least, and it's something that persists through the Booker T era, is that they can just eat their competition now. They're so much bigger than everybody else that even if they don't eat their competition directly by like taking them over or having deals with them, they they take them over by sheer force of being able to take all of their performers and put them under actual contracts instead of uh, a hot dog and a handshake as they say. Or even guys that are doing really well on the indies still would prefer the constant pay and the bigger stage of the WWE in a lot of cases. I'm interested in AEW, I guess, but I'd have to see what they're actually going to do going forward instead of just being like, oh, well, they're going to save everybody from everything. That's probably not going to happen. There's reasons WWE does things the way they do in terms of how they push people, how they market people, how they pay people, stuff like that. But I, I really think there needs to be some sort of major... Had, like change for them to get out of this giant company playing it safe role that they've had the last so basically since they went public, but really in since John Cena left again, because John Cena was somebody that could put all of the horses behind.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that era where you know John Cena's run was kind of wrapping up, but they already had AJ Styles and like, they already had Seth Rollins established, like whatever that was, maybe two, three years ago now, maybe two and a half years ago. Like, you know, when, when Styles was feuding with Reigns and all that, like they felt like they were on the verge of, of really having something. But I agree without Cena, he was, I don't want to say he was the straw that stirred the drink, but he was the, the pebble that just put the water over the edge of the glass. You know what I mean? I think that, that they felt like they were starting to have something really special. And at least with the men, it, it just feels like that's kind of fallen apart.
0: Yeah, I I think that the women's division has a lot less, and we've talked about this a bunch of times, uh, they have a lot less, like, emotional baggage than the men's division. Uh, Yeah, and I think, again, this all traces back to, like, literally this one set of matches between, uh, like, with The Rock and... Booker and then him involving himself in the undisputed title tournament. And then that makes him go off with Austin and do what's to me, what ends up pushing him into more of a comedy act, which is the, the feud they have that basically the most famous thing is the fight in the grocery store, which is one of the more famous things from that era, especially the later, the latter half of that era, the post post post, Convergence. Uh, they post crisis, I guess you would call it.
1: Uh, I sometimes referred to, Nick, as the ruthless aggression. Area. Oh,
0: right. Yeah. I refuse. Uh, yeah. Me too. No, I, I don't use that one either. Uh, but I think that this was what kind of made it clear that it was the Jeff Jarrett thing of like, he's such a good wrestler. We like the curse of being a great wrestler, whoever that was about. I forgot now. I think it might have been Jarrett. Um, They both have that, he's a great comedy person. He can sell the WWE full sports entertainment side, but what makes Booker great and not just another person on the show is his ability to switch in between the two and they kind of just push him directly into the sports entertainment part of of the WWE product during this grocery store fight.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was really big and really important for him to rub shoulders with Steve Austin and I think that for health reasons and motivation reasons, they were trying to find different stuff for Steve Austin to do that was fun. And like on one level, I'm just glad that of all the people in the WWE who were maybe resistant, some of the changes like Steve Austin clearly wanted to do this program with Booker and like had good matches with him. And I think really blessed Booker into being a WWE main eventer in a way that really didn't happen for anybody else. I mean, I think even though he was mostly like getting his, his butt kicked and stuff. I think that, you know, just having a real feud with, with Austin, where Austin was cutting promos on you and, and trading bombs with you and stuff. I mean, that's just credibility building stuff at the highest level. So I'm, I'm just so glad it happened. I mean, it's a little comedic ish. Like I said, I think it's at a time where Austin was kind of experimenting with like just the all out brawling, doing some kind of like, this is real Memphis type stuff to me, just the real kind of all out wild and wooly brawling and stuff like kind of silly, but a lot of fun. And I, I think it's good stuff, and I think overall it's actually one of the better things that could have happened to Booker, considering that they'd already kind of fumbled the ball on him by, you know, giving him the title and then taking it off him before the tournament and already jobbing him out to rock and stuff. Like, I think this could have worked as a rehab moment, once again, if there had been the sustained follow-up afterward,
0: There is no follow-up though, really. And what ends up happening is he gets involved with Goldust soon after this feud. And they work really well together, but it's a thing where you can clearly see the ways in which he's being pushed again into that sports entertainment. Because there's very few people on earth more sports entertainment than Goldust. Uh, And it's funny because he's such a talented wrestler like Booker T that it, they make it work. But I think that it's still a situation where Booker T should have never been forced to be, he should have been at the top of the card and to have him intentionally in holding patterns like this. Yeah. Well, Nick, I mean, the, the year was,
1: was 2002 and, you know, there were, there were all sorts of just really great young up and coming talents in the thriving developmental system that, you know, that they were working super hard to get over and there just wasn't quite enough room for Booker. Oh, wait, none of that stuff is true. Nothing happened during this time period, or at least not till, you know, I mean, you have Cena and and Batista kind of coming up and stuff, but I mean, no, it, it is pretty completely ridiculous the way that he slides down here. I mean, you were talking about the curse of being a good worker earlier. I think both Booker T and Gold Dust have suffered at times in their career from the curse of being versatile, right? The curse of being good at almost every aspect of wrestling. It's like, if you're good at every aspect of wrestling, eventually the boss is going to ask you to do the part that nobody else wants to do. And sometimes that was to like dress up like a lumberjack or, you know what I mean? Like whatever, all the weird, silly stuff that they, that they did together. But, but, but I think that, you know, he, he did the best work possible with it, which which really demonstrated his versatility. But but at the same time, it's just like, oh my gosh, go back and watch the pay-per-view main events from
0: this era. There's no reason he wasn't in more of them. He just only would have made the whole scene so much better. Because he's great within himself. He doesn't require anybody else to be great. There is... a. It feels very similar to Dustin Rhodes in that way where he's just good at wrestling and he likes being good at wrestling and he likes wrestling. So he's talented enough physically that if you allow him to do stuff he likes doing or stuff he can do well, it ends up working no matter what stupid ass shit you make him do. Like it this – for all of the complaining we've just done, it really works. It's a really great pairing that you, it's an odd couple, but it's also two people with real chemistry that really respect each other. And I think it comes from, at least with Booker T, a history of working with, it, it, it is his brother, but having a tag team partner really helps, I think. You know the ropes of how to interact with somebody and how to lean on them and let them lean on you when you need it without making either of you look weak. And I I think they both come out of this. I mean, Booker T obviously comes out looking stronger, but there's definitely, it boosted both of their careers and not just because Booker T's great, but because Dustin Rhodes slash Dust is on the level of a Booker T, he just never got anywhere near the traction that Booker T did because he had a much different uh, life trajectory, I think would be the mi- nicest way to put it. He went through a lot of different things that Booker T didn't while he was wrestling. And I think that really, but other than that, they remind me a lot of each other. They're kind of mirror images of one another in terms of their talent level and what how much they were utilized within that talent level but also like yeah i mean in terms of where they
1: came from i think they are like you said a, a strangely apt pairing it's almost like later on when booker was in tna in the main event mafia and he did some tags with scott steiner it's like on on one level you're like oh, that's weird that's just throwing together two older main eventers lame but on the other hand the more you think about it you're like that's actually a pretty apt little pairing like that really works in its own way and there's kind of a rich story to that and like you said on a psychological level you can buy into how like Okay, these guys are new partners, but they both have been around the block a million times and both know a ton about wrestling and have been in championship matches and have been champions, etc, etc. So I think it's one of those where, like you said earlier, the, the key word is entertainment here. And for what it's worth, like these two, Goldust and Booker and like Regal and Tajiri at the time, like there were some hall of fame level comedy wrestling performers at this point on the TV show. And I know that's the stuff that I'm usually putting down and not a big fan of, but you've heard me defend the haha a couple of times on the last couple of episodes. And, and, and I think part of it is because like I was saying at the beginning, it's just like Booker's just like so well rounded. And so is gold dust here that they carry it off and they still feel like important parts of the show. Like same with Regal at the the same, you know, he was someone on that same level. So even though he's not where he could be Booker that is here, at least he's, he's doing something that makes him feel like a real integrated part of the team. And for, 90% of the WCW guys, that didn't happen. So like I said with the Austin thing, maybe not the best, maybe not my favorite, but in some ways, like a small mercy that at least he was getting to do good stuff and be integrated in the show, even though he deserved better.
0: He was undeniable in the fact that you actually had to worry if someone wanted to build a company around Booker T, you might actually be in trouble. It not maybe You probably wouldn't lose out to them, but it, he is enough of a talent and has enough of a following that he really could have drawn eyes away from a WWE. Very few guys that were WCW guys straight up could have. I don't think you could have done it with Page. I think he was too old. I don't think you could have done it with Goldberg. He didn't care enough, to put it bluntly. Uh, And I don't think that you can do it with Steiner because he's too crazy like he's too you could have done it with steiner and booker t because you have the reliable booker t there but i i don't think it there's a real we have to be treat this guy decently and pay him well to keep him because he's one of the talents that you could really start a franchise around do you know who his first wrestlemania match is against dave
1: um, I, I do because you know that the topic of beautiful
0: flowing hair is, is very near and dear to my own heart. And it's of course Edge and they, I, I, this is wrestling, everybody. This is wrestling. Uh, uh They feud over uh, who's going to appear in a Japanese shampoo commercial, uh, which is some next level, uh, Bob Sparky Plug shit, where it's just like, you made this a fucking whole cloth just to build a feud around two guys you needed to get on the show and couldn't think of something better that wasn't also important.
1: First of all, Nick, it was Thurman Sparky Plug and Bob Spark Plug Holly. <laughs> uh, just, just throw that out there before we get too deep. But yeah, this is when people are making fun of pro wrestling for being like really hokey, like when I think of the, uh, the South park episode, the WWE South park episode, which is it called WTF or something like it's, it's something funny and clever like that. But the, the, the one where they're kind of making fun of wrestling for being a big soap opera and stuff like this is that level of stuff. This is like, this is, this is Katie Vick level. This is just like the absolute dirt worst, most, reductive thing people think about wrestling
0: (laughs) yeah it it, i think it's trying to pretend to be like ironic like self-aware like an austin powers like i guess austin
1: powers was big at the time like it's kind of almost that vibe i guess like a how outrageous is this, but we're still gonna accommodate
0: it into the world of the
1: film. Like, I don't know, just just weird.
0: It, actually, I was gonna say, it almost reminds me of Jerry Maguire in the sense that it. that's one of the first things that really introduce you to the ridiculousness of, like, player endorsements and stuff like that. The idea that, like a Japanese shampoo company would want these two idiots is hilarious to me. Like, I thought it was like watching the old WrestleManias. You're like, wait, seriously, this is the fucking storyline? And the match is good. It totally works, but it's about a shampoo commercial, which, again, is them not knowing what to do with the amount of talent they have on the roster and being afraid to go, you know what? Booker T deserves to be in one of the major WrestleMania matches at WrestleMania 18, which is in some ways the like beginning of the end of the peak of wrestling. Uh, like He should have been more prominently involved. Or you don't even – like the match with Edge works. Why not have it be some sort of uh, – number one contender match or like build a feud. That's not about a shampoo commercial is basically what I'm saying is there's a bunch of things you could have done. We both want to be at WrestleMania. Uh, This is my first WrestleMania and then have edge come out and be like, do you think you've accomplished so much I've been to I've been in five WrestleManias or something like that and literally have the match be about WrestleMania, the fucking show they're on. Like, you don't have to have it be a shampoo commercial to generate whatever kind of heat you're going to generate from that is going to be about the feud itself, not the people in the feud. It kind of pushes the heat away from both of them. And again, it feels like they just don't know what to do with the talent they have on their roster.
1: I feel like you've just never used really good shampoo,
0: Nick. You've seen my hair when it gets long. I use top of the line stuff that you can get. The best stuff you can get at Stop and Shop that goes in my hair. All right, pal. So, yeah, it's the I'm not gonna I'm not gonna buzz advertise it, but it's it's good. It leaves my hair silky. It smells nice. It's Yeah, so fuck you, Dave. You know what? Fuck you. I'm canceling this podcast and the other podcasts. No more podcasts. There you go. My take on on hair was just not
1: woke enough. We're canceled.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so these are the kinds of things that allow Booker T to be used as a comedy figure, which is seemingly innocuous until they do things like... I don't know if they were in some sort of fantasy or nightmare world where like, they're like, let's have our CEO, chairman of the board of a major public company uh, use the N-word on television. Like that would be crazy to do, right?
1: yeah, yeah, that would be pretty crazy. And like you, you know, let, let's do that. And then let's also expect that like it could never like come to light years later when said person's like spouse has worked for the president or some crazy hypothetical unlikely scenario such as that. Yeah.
0: If something wild like that were to happen, uh, you definitely not want this CEO of a publicly traded company using a racial slur and then using his most prominent black Former as a human shield for it by making him make a joke at the end of the segment that would that'd be terrible if somebody did something like that right dave
1: it would but you know what that was one of the things that i found the most frustrating on the the john oliver piece i mean i loved it across the board i thought it was really really good i didn't have a problem with the roman reigns joke because that most people did i think that those are the people who were offended by that roman reigns joke are the people who secretly just want to jump to the wwe's defense so fast anyway anyway the one thing that i thought was weird is they they played that clip you know where he where Vincent Mann says the n word and they showed him walking past booker and they showed booker making the reaction face but they didn't play booker saying the line tell me he didn't just say that because to me that's the worst part is that they like make him co-sign on it they like make him or instructed him or scripted him to add a punchline that like took the edge off something where you're like, oh, he just said the N word. Like, should I be offended by that? And then they immediately have Booker there being just like, no, 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 just laugh it off. It's a, it's a joke. Like to me, that was the worst part of the whole thing.
0: Yeah. It was like, he was just coming in like, it's okay. Everybody don't worry. I'm here. I'm supervising. I'm chaperoning. We're
1: okay. He has a black friend.
0: I swear. I am he. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's just, it's one of those, segments where and we talked about this in the last episode where hog wild is uncomfortable because the crowd is doing it and and being like outwardly racist and making everybody uncomfortable because they don't care not to or want to in some cases want to make people uncomfortable in a way that's really sinister like this is just vince mcmahon Showing how big his balls are almost. Like, I, I, that's as, like, I, I don't like putting things that crassly. Yeah, like, make, 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 make.
1: they're the size of grapefruit.
0: It's documented. <laughs> he should definitely get that checked out by a doctor. That's horrifying. But it, it, it explains a lot. <laughs> it's one of those things where you're like, what do you why why is this does this seem like a good idea to you why would you do this why wouldn't you have somebody on the show and then you realize oh they don't really have they didn't have that many writers who are people of color for a pretty long time there's no one in the room going you can't say that that's really bad like and inappropriate and there's no need for it in the storyline like they can address these things without using language like that, and they especially don't have to put it in the hands of a sextagenarian who like has a history of putting black putting white people in blackface and putting black people in roles that are play off of stereotypes that really shouldn't be a used. By a publicly traded by any company, entertainment company period, but especially one that's not supposed, supposed to be somewhat. I guess at this point it wasn't, but like is at least nominally supposed to be like something kids should be into. <laughs> like it really bothers me that they think that. It, it's okay because Booker T was there to say, don't worry about it. I'm going to make a joke too.
1: Yeah. And it's troubling because it's, it's really, it's only one side of a two pronged attack. Like there's on one level, there's this like laugh it off. Like, you know, we, he walked past the big, strong black guy and the big, strong black guy didn't kick his ass. So it must be okay. Or it must be okay for people in positions of power to do that. Cause what are their subordinates going to say? Like all of those messages are really really terrible and overt but like then there's the other prong of the attack which is the famous like people like you statement like saying the n-word in a laughing way but then saying people like you in a dead serious dog whistle way when you're presenting both of those things it's like oh man maybe one of them could be an accident or a mistake or bad judgment or like you said the lack of someone of color in the room but like when you do both those things that seems like actual racism that's pretty hard to ignore to
0: me and we had that's why we had planned on having Darren on but of course this is WrestleMania week and apparently people who work for WWE are busy during WrestleMania week did you know that dave uh
1: i mean i guess it makes sense but i had never you know thought it out in so many
0: words until today God, you should be producing this show because I'm just a fucking idiot. Uh, But he's unfortunately able to make it. But we wanted him uh, to be here for the discussion. Um, A, because we do think people of color should be involved in discussions about people of color. But also because of the parallels for me between the storyline that happened with Triple H and the storyline that's happening now with Kofi Kingston, with Kofi Mania in general. Because I feel like... If you look at the storyline from, what is 2002? Yeah, 2002 for WrestleMania 18. No, so it's 2003. Yeah, uh, so this is 2003 when this storyline happens for WrestleMania 19. Um, it feels as though the storyline they're using is something that would have been out of place in the early 90s, where I feel like the Kofi Kingston storyline feels like something that would have made sense, and I mean this in an actually really complimentary way, that would have made more sense in like Dusty Rhodes World Championship Wrestling since NWA, which is a a previous generation of wrestling, but I think and and we've discussed this on the pod beyond, that really actually engages with race like it's a real like you said uh during the preview episode It engages with it like it's an evil in the world that has to be confronted as opposed to just Triple H is an asshole. And what really bothers me, I think, the most about the Triple H uh, promo where he basically says people like you don't get to be champion is that he claimed it was about convicted felons and it's just like that's such a shitty just have the courage of your shitty convictions is a big thing for me and the fact that wwe didn't want to just make him out to be a bad person and a really bad heel makes me think that like they thought that they could get away with for lack of a better no i i mean that specifically they thought they could get away with doing this shit and no one would care and i think it's one of the great stains on the company of the last 20 years
1: Yeah, I think that the cerebral assassin, super duper king of the world, Triple H character who like, you know, is there basically from from when Rock becomes kind of part time until until the end of evolution and the kind of next generation really steps into the main event with with Cena and Orton and stuff. But but that era of Triple H, I think, was. A really kind of radioactive character both in the sense that he like had super powers uh, from from the radiation like in a comic book or something but like in in a really dangerous destabilizing kind of way as well because he had that like real edge of the him being married to stephanie and like the stephanie china triple h triangle and the like being married to to the boss's daughter at a time where like people didn't know the degree to which their, their marriage and divorce were legitimate, but like he was a character who seemed way more real in almost a world breaking way in some scenarios like the, I mean, this is years later, but like him telling Chris masters that he didn't, you know, fit into the suit anymore kind of stuff. Just that like world breaking realer than everybody else. Super cool guy, Kevin Nash stuff. And and I think that when we watch the Pod Beyond and we see the Andersons, the Andersons feel like wrestlers. They exist within the world of the show and, and adhere to kind of all the conventions as wrestling. But when you have Triple H, who's this like slightly world-breaking, bigger than the show or or realer than the show character, and he starts... Starts using this like dog whistle racism stuff like that seems like an extra level creepier because he's like realer than the show. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it feels much closer to segregation now, segregation forever when Strom Thurmond says it as opposed to some idiot racist like he has real power how do we know he's not deciding? And I think that's part of getting the heat, but then you have to have him lose the fucking match. Like we would not be talking about this if he didn't lose the match. And I'm not saying that that was triple H's fault. I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. And I'm a pretty staunch defender of triple H in every single other capacity other than this. This is just, it's bad writing. It's, I, I don't mean in the – I don't believe in the concept of political correctness. I think when people say you, uh, you have to be so politically correct, what they mean to say is I used to be able to say shitty things without consequences and I don't like that there are consequences now. But this shit is just – it's just racist and even if it wasn't racist, it's offensive to people – just human bi- like the idea that there are certain types of people in general in any walk of life that can't achieve things is just like such a shitty way to look at the world and again i understand that he's a heel i get it but this is just fucking bad writing that makes you angry at the show in a way that makes you think that they don't care about the stuff they're talking about. Not in the sense that it's real or not real, but that they are playing with a very specific set of very dangerous things that they don't understand. They don't appreciate the level to which it allows them. Racism to be validated when people like Triple H win in the context he won in WrestleMania 19. Like I understand it's wrestling, I get that, but there are things that are bigger than wrestling that you can include with wrestling if you do it correctly. And this is just so poorly executed; it's inexcusable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I
0: mentioned this before
1: on a previous episode, but I won't retread the whole anecdote. Uh, but I, I think that part of what happened here is you have the story. And the story is as written is, is kind of edgy and goes certain places, but I think does it on purpose. And then of course, like you said, you have the happy ending where Booker prevails and the racist is, is defeated and laid low and his, the depravity of his way is made bare, et cetera, et cetera. But I think we have the like storytelling running into wrestler stuff. And like, I, I think I've said in the past that in my head, I think part of, why we got this finish is because something we talked about earlier is because that Austin had beat Booker. So I think that it's like, well, who are the, you know, so we've got the merger, right? Who are the big WWF guys that we want to keep really strong? Well, we've got Austin and we've got Rock and we've got Triple H and Austin and Rock each already got Booker. And then imagine convincing Triple H that you're going to lose to him at WrestleMania. Do you see where uh, maybe it just... I don't know. It just it just doesn't make any sense to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's really bad. I don't I I I don't know how any other way to put it. It's a really rough watch. The match is decent, but even even the commentary in the match is fucking – Jerry Lawler is just you can uh, it's so frustrating because it's it's it should have just been what it <laughs> they should have just had Booker win like you could have done literally everything they did and just had a different ending to the story and it doesn't become a black mark on the company and like the high water low water mark however you want to put it the zenith I think it's clear of televised racism uh, and institutional televised racism in wrestling since like they put booker t in fucking cuffs and had him be one in a poker game when he first entered wcw and then immediately were like this is fucking terrible except they didn't do that at wrestle fucking mania with the world heavyweight championship that booker t is the standard bearer for so they're literally saying you're not good enough when you actually have to face like god it's I know I've asked this a couple times. Am I overreacting or is this like one of the worst things they've ever done?
1: No, it's really gross. And I think it's the only the kind of move that you do when you feel like you can do no wrong. You know what I mean? Like when we talk about Mm -hmm. this like 2001 to 2005 or six span where the product product was just like really stagnant. And there was a bunch of bad, repetitive, half-assed crap really going on on a consistent basis. I mean – you know Vince McMahon I think he's good at winning um but he he takes really ugly victory laps if you look at like what happens between say WrestleMania 3 and WrestleMania 4 or if you look what happens immediately after WCW goes down it's like he just can't help himself and he 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 Thinks that because he won, that means that exactly what he wants to do is the best decision because trusting his gut is what led to him winning. You know what I mean? This is the kind of crap that never would have made TV if there was like another viable wrestling company at the time. I think this is like a bunch of just like arrogant victory lap, entertaining yourself. Who's going to stop us or say anything? Big ego garbage.
0: Yeah, it's fucking terrible. Um, could we talk about something less? And not that, like, oh, racism makes me talking about racism makes me sad. Like, I think we need to wash our mouths out with something much more triumphant. All hail, King (laughs) Booker! (laughs) like, did your dogs hear that? (laughs) Uh, that's funny. Sorry. No, it's totally fine. Just perfect. I said it, and they were immediately like, "Fuck that shit." <laughs> um, okay, uh, so yeah, King Booker, which is like a a really really great use of the King of the Ring, which I think we'll eventually do a show on, uh, an episode on. But
1: yes, it's my old school favorite thing.
0: We need to. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe in June, we'll, uh, we'll we'll circle back on that.
1: There we go. It's my, it's my birthday month. It was traditionally in June. It's it's a match made in heaven.
0: <laughs> uh, and I think King Booker is a top two or three king for me in the that was coronated in the WWF slash WWE. He he is exactly the type of guy you would hope would get uh, to be put on a pedestal like that. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work out that way, but there are examples: Owen Hart, uh, Austin, Triple H at heart, even Mabel have really, really got good their King of the Ring performance or them being king was what helped propel them in ways to the main event. Uh, This coronation gives him a real character to build around. That's not his WCW character. No, in no way, shape or form connected to his WCW character. And it also allows him to like build a stable and stuff like that without having him just being like, I'm going to build a group of people. It gives him reasons to do the crazy shit that he wants to do. And it also gives him reasons to be a much more formidable opponent than they had previously established him as in the past two years since, uh, I guess it's, yeah, it's like two or three years since the, the, his introduction into the world of WWE.
1: Vince has to make you, even if you were already great somewhere else. Like, you know, Vince thought that the, the early 80s babyface version of Ted DiBiase was boring, even though he was a great worker. Like Vince had to make him into the Million Dollar Man or whatever. Like there's always those stories of like, even if you were already great, there has to be some new version of you that Vince created to be fully behind you. And I think that's what King Booker was. King Booker was the kind of like, quote unquote, cartoon, WWF version of Booker T. And I think that there were parts of it that were just kind of like silly and and not very serious, but at the same time, it's like crucially important that Vince McMahon eventually, maybe a couple of years too late, but but it's important that he sort of came around and realized what he had in Booker. And we got, you know, a period of time where Booker was getting minutes on TV every week, not just wrestling, but being the centerpiece of these segments where, like you said, he has, you know, the, the posse of flunkies, the, the king's court kind of thing to, to make him look big and important. So as much as it's not my favorite version of Booker, I think it's maybe the most important because it's when he finally made it at the top level, even if it was too late and not the way we wanted.
0: It almost feels like a Frank, uh, like him winning a second MVP in the after being in the AL for his entire career, or I guess the WCW would be the NL. But uh, a spoiler alert on what our next episode is going to be: uh, that he comes and he doesn't, he doesn't put up the crazy numbers he used to put up, but he has a really great couple of years as King Booker and really gets that character over and really gets the feuds he's in with that character over because his character is in those feuds. It's not just like, Oh, I'm with popular people. He, Runs with this really silly gimmick and makes something out of it, which is eventually what he turns into uh, the, res- the into the main event mafia character he has in TNA. You can say something, and then we can like,
1: yeah, it's interesting how I think that Booker had always been like a pretty realistic character. Like at the end of the day, you know, he had always been like a a, a real athlete, just like a boots and trunks guy who had great matches but somehow in becoming the cartoon he found that bit of himself that was over the top but also true and i think that's really crucial to anybody who's who's going to be a a transcendent non main event wrestler like if you're in the main event you can just be serious your whole career and you know be a successful money maker but if you're sub main event for for a lot of your career you need to find that that part of yourself that's true and that's real and that's not totally quote unquote fake, um, but is also a lot of fun and quote unquote entertaining. And I think that's what Booker did kind of both with the King and then transitioning that into the, 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 Booker
0: T, and A character. Are you saying the main event Mafia wasn't the main event? Respect! I don't think he's anywhere near what he was in the ring, which makes sense because he had been wrestling for a long-ass time at that point, like 20 years, basically, right? It's somewhere, it's a long time. It was when we were in college, like, junior, senior year. So, like, 2007, 2008, 2009, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. He was in TNA starting in 2007, at the very end of the year. So, end of 2007, beginning of 2008. Um, But, yeah, and, I mean, he broke in in 89, 90, around there. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he'd been wrestling almost 20 years at that point. And, I mean... And a highly
0: physical, high-impact style. Oh, yeah,
1: moving around a lot more than the average dude was moving around. No no question about it. And I I think that the TNA version of Booker, like, I was at the time when I was in college and, like, a hyper-nerdy wrestling fan, like, I was kind of critical of it because, like, I thought that sometimes that he was, quote-unquote, one of the people who was maybe, like, phoning it in in TNA. But now looking back and watching that, he was doing a great job being, like, the legends of WrestleMania version of Booker T, where, like, him, like, you were just kind of paring down what he did and like doing the signature move that people knew and like letting the people who were going to these shows feel like they saw Booker T and Booker T did his act. And so he didn't achieve a great deal like in TNA, like not a lot of what happened there was super important or really impacting in like a long lasting way. Like he literally created a new title, which they changed three times and then quietly got rid of. Like that that gives you a sense of his of his impact. But I think that he, he did show off that kind of like smart veteran wrestler doing the, like, this is me doing the, the legend Booker T who you're really excited to see on the card version of Booker T. You know what I mean? But like I said, I was, I was critical.
0: I guess what they call the champions tour version of, Booker T where like, or the legends of WrestleMania, I think is actually for those who haven't played the video game, David and I I believe got into a serious fight about it. once <laughs> Cause I was uh, doing a taunt while I should have been breaking up a pin. I was in the wrong. I apologize looking back, uh, <laughs> but it's that very arcadey style of Booker at Booker T match where we talked about how the rock comes sometimes just hits his spots. That's basically what was happening with Booker T but given that he's Booker T and everybody else he was working with was not Booker T.
1: Yeah. And like he- said, he'd been in 18 years at this point versus The Rock in, in 2002 had been – or 2001 had been
0: wrestling six
1: years. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, he's, he's able to do it through – almost like muscle memory a lot of the shit. Again, it's not that super amazing, like mind-blowing early 2000s style Booker T, but it's a totally workable version of Booker T. And the legend's title actually kind of, it's weird. It's one of the things that most validates me for him as like an all-time legend is that they were just like, here's a title. We'll basically like make it up for you. (laughs) like, yeah, sounds good. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, let great around Rob Terry's waist. Uh, one, one of the all-time great uh, <laughs> legends of our business, Rob Terry. But, but never forget Rob Terry's brief event push. He's one of the top 100 one Welsh wrestlers of all time. Damn.
1: That's a good one because Wales is a
0: very small <laughs> I was going to say, Mason Ryan's feelings are really hurt right now because I know you have him out of the top 100, so it's fucked up. Well, I mean, Adrian Street set a super high bar <laughs> in terms of... In terms of respect, which again, uh, if you haven't seen the respect promos from Booker T, look them up. Uh, uh, I, I also love
1: my other favorite in the respect voice was, I think he was feuding with James Storm at the time, but the six sides of steel... With weapons, like, it was the worst gimmick match ever. But his every time he said it, he said it in that voice, and, like it made you want to see the pay per view as bad as you knew it was going to be. Like he, it really was pretty magical. Once again, like, like it should just be kind of like cartoonish, over the top stuff. But it, 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 it's the magic of wrestling that someone who's like really good at wrestling can do stuff that's like completely fucking stupid, and like that's the most memorable thing at the end of the show, like when he was doing that sort of like, I remember like, like that super kind of coked up King Booker, I guess is how I would describe the, the character that he played in the main event mafia, but it was so cartoonish and over the top. But at the same time, when he got in the ring, he didn't like wrestle any differently. So it kind of, he had this new dimension to him. Like, oh, he's kind of not just like a, he's kind of an unhinged psycho, like a little bit, you know what I mean? So I, 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 it was cartoonish and weird, but, there's there's a lot of guilty pleasure to, to Booker and T. Yeah,
0: there's this element of fuck you money that Booker is yeah. implied to have. Yeah. Of just like, I can, I'm can Booker fucking T. I am playing with beyond yeah. house money. Like, I am the most accomplished person in this company right now. And ain't nobody can touch me. But I also like wrestling and I wasn't really doing it in WWE. So, like, let me come here, make everybody look like they're having fun Get over whenever I can and, you know, like hang out and do a funny voice. Cause, uh, cause like we just talked about with uh, King Booka, uh, that voice really helps to define him as a separate version of himself. And we talked about it in the previous episode, WCW's inability to repackage himself, them, uh, repackage their stars once things got stale for the most part. Booker T shows his adaptability because they give him the King of the Ring in whatever year they give him the King of the Ring. And he goes from, like, normal heel to basically, uh, like a psychotic break version of like the King of Hearts or something like that, where his kingness, his kingly, his royalty, his royal status, I guess you would call it actually like breaks something in his brain and makes him think that it's actually like a meaningful title, but then he makes it meaningful by like getting a court of English slash Irish wrestlers together. But it still helps establish him uh, almost in the same way it, it almost gives him the same level of realism as like JBL's uh, cabinet does where like JBL got legitimately rich. And I understand that Booker T didn't legitimately become a king, but it's like a legitimate thing in wrestling. And he turns it into an actual like gimmick that worked because he committed to the bit.
1: Now I'm just writing King Ralph sequels where Booker T
0: becomes an actual <laughs> Dude, I think if we pitched that to WWE Films, we could maybe get in on the ground floor or something, a really special franchise of...
1: I bet, I bet John Goodman would come back to do it too. He he always seems to like money and being in things.
0: <laughs> Mostly the money and sometimes the being in things. Uh, voice, also, in in especially I think at TNA, because he does wrestle a slightly different style when he's King Booka, but in Main Event Mafia, it's literally just... I'm doing a crazy voice because I am having a full on like disassociative episode right now. As I talk to you, it's never addressed as like, this is like, Or it might be addressed, but it's addressed in the very TNA way of, like, it'll be a candid shot of people being like, what's with Booker's voice? It's never, like, I don't think it's textually addressed directly, uh, but it's just this hilarious thing that he's just a person doing a weird voice at a party, but it fits perfectly with his character of this crazy like like i said fuck you money like almost like and before all of the really really hard stuff came out it reminded me of like neverland version of michael jackson where he's like just does not have a an, any need whatsoever to give a fuck about anything <laughs> uh
1: that's why I love, like, the uh, the the Main Event Mafia Takeover episode where he and Nash do commentary where they are Chet Lemon and Black <laughs> Snow. Like, it's just the ultimate, like you said, two guys with just piles and piles of fuck-you money just having the time of their lives. Yeah, it's, it's
0: <laughs> really... I think if it was just the Main Event Mafia and it didn't turn into, like, the Hogan and Fortune and all that shit, I think that stable actually works for... What they were trying to build out with TNA, which is like an alternative to WWE, not a competitor. And then Hogan came in with Bischoff and was like, "Let's just make them com- competitive." And it's like, "This is never going to happen." Why would you even? You have a good thing going. I remember starting to get into TNA, and then Hogan.
1: Nick, Nick, Nick. that's the vision that you can sell to the money mark, though.
0: I feel like she was going to be a money mark for a lot longer. They could have just bled her. I guess Jarrett getting in trouble like messes stuff up, but really like they could have built a company around the terrible main eventers they had who like can show up and do their jobs and the incredible amount of talent that is now basically the main event of WWE or like most of the people in the WWE roster who are any good are from TNA. Like they have been hugely important to the development of modern WWE. And you, it's not an ECW situation. Like you really could have seen a lot of those guys stay in TNA forever, but they just didn't know how to keep them. And then they lost all of their money because they let, hogan and bishop set it on fire
1: yeah and uh, i should add that uh, the young bucks should have done a better job shaking rob van damme hands.
0: <laughs> they should have
1: can you imagine how different the wrestling world would be right now if if the young bucks had done a better job shaking hands in the tna locker room like we could literally be looking at a different wrestling landscape like would new japan have exploded in the u.s would aew even exist what if those goddamn millennials had actually been raised right with their parent by their parents and, and
0: knew how to show some respect? Imagine how different the world would be. So now that we've, uh, I guess, solved racism in wrestling, right, Dave?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, just two 30-year-old white guys sitting at home, exactly what we knew was going to solve the problem all along.
0: I have one question to, I've been thinking about. Uh, basically, since we announced we're going to be doing a Booker T episode, <sighs> am I too much of a Booker T mark?
1: that's a very direct question um i think that in the last two shows i think that we have presented him in a a very glowing light that at first when we were first starting yesterday's show i was kind of catching myself being like "Ah, are we heaping a little too much praise here but i actually slept on it after the first recording session and i've been thinking about it all day ahead of this one and it's it's one of those where He is, I think, the rare case where he is almost better appreciated. He being Booker pronouns pal, uh, he is almost better appreciated out of context. Like, if you were watching at the same time, especially if you were a WWE primarily fan, as both you and I were in 2001, 2002, you know what I mean? That like it was really easy to see him as just another guy from WCW or to see him as the usurper, like, that was the. Like we said, that was the, the the story that Jr. really told in the commentary with that rock match. But I think looking back years later, he really is someone who stands up above the crowd, and you're like, man, this guy was so talented, and like he got there and was good and had the great career. But he's someone who really could have been so much more. Like maybe in in just an era where you know there's one or two guys who aren't there, or there's one or two guys from from the attitude era WWF who aren't grandfathered, like in an era where JBL isn't going to get grandfathered up for being a good boy. You know what I mean? Like all that stuff. Like he really, really could have been something. And I don't know if I even realized how much he could have been until we went back and started looking at things closely and, and really talking about him in both a big picture way and a granular picture way. I think that I knew that he was an important wrestler, but Even I was telling him short on how special he was until we did this.
0: Yeah, I I mentioned this during the last episode. The match that I, the first match was like, I love Booker T. He's absolutely incredible. It's a couple years ago. uh, A friend of the show and I, uh, a friend of the show, Andy Miller and I, had a a podcast where we reviewed bad wrestling pay per views. It was called "In No Condition to Perform." It may come come out again at some point when we both have free time, Uh, but. That match, the match I mentioned with uh, him and Sting versus the Road Warriors, I just remember that match and being absolutely fascinated by him and it. And that really fundamentally changed the way I thought about him on every level. Like, I always sought him out as someone after watching that, where I was like, I have to pay attention to this guy because he's such a great... Like, he's so good at being the best person in any match and it's something you see over and over and over again and he's not spectacular he's he is spectacular but he's not it's clear he just never got the right role at the right time until booker t king booker uh and also like late super late period wcw king booker uh, regular, sorry, uh, Booker T, and I think if they kept it going after his match with The Rock at Summerslam, that would have really propelled him to this level. We're talking about the Triple H level. I think again, I think he's just as talent, just as talented as guys like Triple H. I think he was not given the opportunities guys like Triple H were. And I think there's a lot of reasons we discussed during this episode, but I think it's also the W the stink of WCW was never watched from. Him. And I don't think that's fair. I think we couple him with a lot of bad things that weren't his fault. And that's part of what happens when you are on a bunch of shitty teams or running shitty players or having bad, like being in bad matches. Like you can only do so much uh, and that's why he works so well out of context. You, you don't get brought down by the shitty storylines around him or the shitty performances that he's getting from other people. He, in every single one, he's one of the rarer people that in every single match I've seen him in, I can pull something from it and say, he did this well, even the matches that are bad, even the short matches that are meaningless. He does something good in every match. And uh, to me, that's why he's just like always been one of my favorites. But uh, this, Show really put in perspective like how high on a like how I put him on a very high pedestal and that it it's almost all warranted like I'm not crazy and I felt like when we were first doing this like am I crazy am I just super into Booker T because I'm an idiot and it's like no he has validated all of my feelings towards him over the years doing this deep dive or it's not, a, you know, we're not doing Arn Anderson, random jobber matches, but we really looked at, I think a wide breadth of his stuff and all of it holds up in a way that happens with a lot fewer guys than you realize.
1: Yeah. That's a great way of, of saying it. And one of my favorite things about him and one of my favorite things about any, you know, wrestler is just the ability to like track his career. You feel like you went on a real journey with Booker T where he started out as a certain guy with a lot of promise But some weaknesses, both in terms of kayfabe and in terms of like, you know, from a quote unquote smart perspective, looking at him kind of starting to put together and you really see him getting better and better over time. Like I said, in part one, occasionally getting some help from the bookers or more experienced wrestlers, but mostly just like figuring stuff out practically and just getting better and better every time. I'm always happy to see my favorite wrestlers are always the people who, you know, are around for 15 or 20 years and they've they've just got that like narrative arc that you can that you can trace and it's it's all there with booker he's he's someone who like almost my entire life has been involved in wrestling at a pretty high level or at least as far back as i can remember like watching tv he's he's been involved you know what i mean so i think that's another thing that's he's a, he's one of those sleeper guys where there's a lot of people right now who who can't imagine wrestling where Booker T is not a part of it.
0: Yeah. And I can't either. Like I I always liked him when I was younger, but really I've grown to appreciate him as like a performer and all of the stuff he grew went through when he was younger. Like it's incredible to me that he was able to, because like I said, like I come from a family where people have went to jail. So the idea that he turned his life around and was able to accomplish so many things is like, Inspirational for me in a very real way. Like, I really love Booker T and I respect him so goddamn much. I'm so happy we did this episode. Uh, so, Dave, do you have anything to plug?
1: Oh, well, just my own self as normal on the Twitter, at uh, Dave Uh, you should also follow the show account at HwetwPod. We did hit 500 followers on uh, Twitter before WrestleMania, which was our goal. Thank you so much to everybody who, who does follow us and who's recommended us to other people and who retweets our links. Our next goal is to get to a thousand people to double that number by the end of June. So, uh, I don't want to sit around patting ourselves on the back for too long because we've got another very ambitious goal in front of us, but I really personally uh, appreciate, and I know Nick does too, your continued efforts to help spread the word, help grow that number, and and help make this the biggest and best show possible. So be sure to follow me, be sure to follow the show, be sure to tell your friends, follow us, rate and review, all that
0: good stuff. And you can check me out at the Knicks or the T H E N One C K S D E R. You can check us out at how wrestling uh, rate review and subscribe to us like Dave said at iTunes, Stitcher Spotify, and the Google Play Store. Um any pocket cast news today, Dave?
1: Um, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna cliffhang this one. I know that we've we've had a lot of new listeners recently and, and like I keep saying, I'm I'm a little hesitant to let them write in on the pocket cast stuff because I, I think that's just something special for the long-term listeners. If if the new people really want to know about pocket cast, they gotta go to the archives. But I'll say this: I'll say that if Becky Lynch emerges victorious at WrestleMania, I will drop the biggest pocket cast bombshell to date on next Wednesday's episode. But but Becky's gotta bring one home first.
2: What I'm going to do, I'm take him I'm going to take you out. I'm going to take Ah, all right, all right, all right. You're not killing me. I don't care what he did to you last ah, week. What about me, man? I have to face him in less than two weeks, all right? Not you, me. All right, he's my project, all right? Yeah, he's no project. You no. guys pressed his buttons last week, you and Scotty. Now I have to reprogram okay? He was you? Man, what the hell's he doing, man? What are you doing here, man? What, what do you, what you did?
0: Phone-wise.
2: What is this, man? This cell phone? I don't need no Lacey phone in here, man. Look at you, man. You used to be somebody. Now you ain't nothing. You ain't never the pork ass janitor, Now Look at you. Oh, oh now you going to do something. Huh? Now you're going to go to somebody. you going to do something. What you going to do? Stop. Stop. Where you at? Stop. down up. Huh? Help, 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 get your poke ass out of here, man. Get your poke ass out of here right now. Right, would you go do do uh, get Oh, out, Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Stop. Hey, boy. What's going on? Look, they're painting uh, Main Event Mafia locker room. You yeah. care if i shack here? Look, that's over here in the corner. Is that cool? Huh? Where's that sushi? Look here, look here. Wait, wait, sushi. wait a minute. What? Look at dog. This is my castle, sushi. dog. I'm hungry, dog. This is my yeah. castle, man. Well, you care if there's two kings in the castle? And we're tag team partners, man. Wait, I, way. I, did, I tell you what, man. Oh, man, but you oh. got to keep the out of here, man. Me, you understand what I'm saying? Can you do that? I can do that. All right, dog. Can you do that for me? I don't need no zoo up in here, all right? Hey, you suck. freaks do animal things. Take your, right. put. take your putt, take your putt. Huh? All right, take boy. your putt, huh? They take take got real light there, real light. You right. know what I'm saying? All right. back, back up, back up, back up. Back up. Four. Yeah. Oh. All right, this, this place is a zoo. I'm out here. <laughs> Among the poor, sad, despicable, oppressive, misinformed. But we have for you to
0: fight your tongue secure.
1: And the promise that you're right in every